0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at GraceCitySD.com. So Luke 1, says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good, and we're so thankful that you have been writing the message of the gospel throughout all of history. Um, And we're so thankful that this time of year is such a wonderful reminder that you came to your weary people, that the world was overwhelmed and burdened and in need of a savior and god you had a perfectly orchestrated plan and god i thank you that you chose the humble in heart the humble in spirit to carry out that plan that's so revealing of your character father and so we just thank you we lift you high this morning i pray that we would all go out from here um, just knowing your word better being reminded of your truth and your mercy And how your will will be done um, no matter what. That you are sovereign God. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Mary. All right. Well, this morning I just want to say... Welcome, Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall and I'm the lead pastor of Grace City Church. And as we've been talking about over the past few months, we've been coming together to see if this is something that God is doing, bringing two churches together as one. And I just wanna say, I've been very blessed and encouraged during this time, Uh, meeting many of you, new faces, new people, I just love it. And so just thank you for sticking with us, being a part of this um, during this season of Advent. Um, And you know, we're talking about our churches being together for our city. And as we've talked about before, you know, Ryan just shared about how the the schools are being impacted because of this. And for me, being in this community for about four years, you know, I've lived here in this community for four years, I've been on the different uh, boards and councils for our local schools here. And so I'm kind of like that representative, I guess, of of some of the churches in our area, you know, coming to the different meetings and stuff. So I've been sitting, I'm the secretary for the the cluster, the UC cluster, where all the principals come together, and I just sit there and take notes. The only reason I'm the, the, the secretary is because nobody wanted to sit there and Take the notes. And so I said, Fine, I'll take the notes. I'll be here and I'll do this. But here's the thing people are hearing about the church in this community and how we're blessing people. And I got an email this past week from the high school, and we just gave a little $50 gift card to their uh, staff a a couple months ago. But they said, You know what? Uh, We're using this gift card. We've been holding on to it for a while. We're going to use this to to bless the custodial staff here, we've been we've been wanting to do a little surprise for them, and so I just want you to know that the little things, right? Like we, we look at the, all of these things that are happening, but even the littlest of things, the thing, the thing we said it's just a fifty dollar gift card. She said that was such a blessing, all right? So I want you to know that I want you to hear that there are things that are happening in this community that God is doing to bless people here, right around us. And you guys are a part of that. So it's a really big deal, and I'm just thankful to be a part of all of it. Now, it's a gift for me to be able to, to deliver this message during Advent season. As we talked about before, if Advent is new for you, here's what it is. It's just an extended time to celebrate the arrival of Jesus. An extended time, right? Because sometimes what we try to do is we make it into one day, but not only that, we make it about 10 minutes before we start to open presents. We're going to maybe read the Christmas story, right? We're going to read through maybe in Matthew or Luke and, and read about how Jesus comes into the world. But don't you believe, and don't I believe, that this is much bigger than just one day? This is much bigger than just 10 minutes before we start opening presents, right? This is the big deal. God came to be with us the arrival of Jesus, right? And so we get to read about as Jesus comes into the world, but also this, we get to look forward to the day when Jesus comes back again. Because you know this, I know this. As we think about this season, there are people that are hurting, that are grieving, loss. Right? You might have walked in today and you thought to yourself, I'm here this morning, but, but it took a lot for me to be here because of all the things that you've been through. See, this time of the year doesn't always bring up good memories for people. But I want you to know that there's the second coming. Christ will come again. There's hope that we have to look forward to. In Advent we get to celebrate that knowing that this isn't it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this: the celebration of Advent is possibly only to those, or possible only to those who are troubled in soul. You ever felt that? Troubled in soul who know themselves to be poor and imperfect and who look forward to something greater to come. We're looking forward to something greater to come as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus Christ. You see, we need this text today because in a world full of trouble, Jesus says you will be, this world, you know, there's, it's full of trouble. He says, but I have overcome the world. Doesn't he? He says, "You will have trouble, but I have overcome the world." And so we get to celebrate that great hope that Jesus has overcome the world, and we need to keep our eyes on something bigger than ourselves. And so our text today is from Luke, and we're looking at uh, Luke one forty-six through fifty-six, and um, and here's the message that we're going to really glean from this today: a reason to sing, a reason to sing. In December, as we've been looking at the Christmas stories from the Gospel of Luke and, and how it all unfolded, the, the first week, we, we looked at and studied Mary's interaction with the angel Gabriel, right? And so a, Gabriel is a messenger coming to her, telling her of the, the, the calling that God has placed on her life to give birth to Jesus, the Son of God. And this is a huge milestone within history, because at that time, there was 400 years of silence. Right? God had not spoken to his people. He told the, his people that he would not speak to them for 400 years. Pastor Scott talked about that last week, and that's a big deal. So there was a murmuring and a buzz around that time that there would be a Messiah. That's why a bunch of false messiahs start to come up during that time. But Jesus is going to be born to this humble girl, teenage girl, Mary. And so last week, Scott talked about uh, how Mary went to go visit her relative Elizabeth, and I think that's a really important thing for us, you know, as we think about that, because, you know, you, you go through something, God tells you something, God's working in your life, sometimes it's a little hard to believe on your own. Have you ever, have you ever had that, right, God's working, and you're like, I don't know if that really happened, because it was just me, but then you go over and somebody else, and you're like, yeah, that actually is true. You know, So she, she goes over to her relative Mary, or Mary goes to her relative Elizabeth, and they start talking, and Elizabeth says, I, I had something happen to me too, something that changed my life, right? And so John the Baptist is going to be her son, and she's going to raise him, and really to prepare the way for Jesus to come into the world. And so she's just dialoguing over this in community, and, and I just want you to know that today it matters that we are here in community. Right, as we are diving into the word together, you got to know the person next to you. You got to know that we're all on this journey together and you need people. That's why Ryan talked about earlier how community group is really important for us to be a part of. Right, so it says that at the end in verse uh, 56 that that Mary stayed a while with her cousin. They're just dialoguing, right, about what God was doing in their life. And it's just getting deeper and deeper into her heart. This week, we're going to look at the first Christmas song, or Christmas carol, if you will. We're going to look at that. That's what's happening here. Because this text today that we're going to read through, that we, that we already looked at, and we're going to break down, is this is a song. This is a song that Mary's singing. You see, for many of us, we love the season because we get to sing and listen to some of our favorite Christmas music. And I know that some of you have been listening since July. You're the same ones who think it's a good idea at Walmart and all these places to be putting Christmas stuff out in July. No, we're not there yet, right? So But we're looking at this song that Mary sings. And we can sing songs. But let me ask you this. How are you singing? How are you singing? Because as we look at this text, it's not only that she's singing a song, but we got to see how she's singing this song. See, because for some of us, we love Christmas music because we sing out of nostalgia, we sing out of familiarity, we sing out of routine. But let me ask are you singing from a heart of worship to God? Worship. You know, in the Greek, the word is proskineia, it means to bow. To bow before the king. To bow to something greater, before something greater than yourself. And so, as we're worshiping, are we truly worshiping God in this time, in this year? See, for Mary, her song is what scholars call the Magnificat. Preacher Stanley Jones calls the Magnificat the most revolutionary document in the world. Why? Because in Mary's song, she sings about how God is turning the values of the world upside down. The values of the world are being flipped upside down in this song. Martin Luther said that the Magnificat comforts the lowly and terrifies the rich. It's an outburst of praise and worship to God. And so let's look at this text from Luke 1. And in this song, we're going to see that we get to catch a glimpse of Mary meditating upon the reality of God's grace, God's plan, God's mission in the world. And as she starts to think about that, it just moves her deeply because Jesus' is coming is the answer to all of human, humanity's deepest longings and needs. And so how does Jesus' birth impact her? We're going to break it down in three ways. And so... Um, I'll give you all three up front. It impacted her personally, socially, and eternally. Personally, socially, and eternally. All right, so the first one is personally. Uh, We're gonna look at verses 46 through 50. Here's what it says. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon, or looked on the humblest state of his servant, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. First, what we see throughout this song is that God's calling on her life is very personal. You say, well, how? Well, we'll look at verse 47. It says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. See, that little word, my, there is this personal need, right? So as she's experiencing the fact that she's going to give birth to the Son of God, she's being changed personally personally. See, she knew that she needed what was happening in her life. And so Mary sings about this, and she says this, my spirit rejoices. What's bringing her joy? It's this, God, my Savior. God, my Savior. See, she's taking her focus and her attention and putting her, her joy in God and not anything else but she also knows that she needs God to save her, to save her personally. Mary s- sings about her need for God's salvation. Leon Morris said, God, my Savior, shows that Mary recognized her need. She was a sinner like other people. Right? is this just some nice story that God comes into the world? That God is born In the likeness of you and me? Is this just a nice story? No, this is a very needed story. Why? Because of what we talked about, the brokenness of humanity, the sin that lives in us, that we cause. And it's so important because it took God coming into the world to solve that problem. What that tells us is we couldn't solve that problem on our own. We couldn't figure it out. With as much technology and all the things that we can come up with, we can't figure out the problem of our own sin. And so God loved the world so much that he sent his only son into the world. And Mary is rejoicing that she has a Savior in God. See, Mary understood that she needed to be saved. And she's singing. She's singing. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. This is a passage from the Old Testament. But as Mary is singing, what we need to understand is this, that Through God's salvation, he rejoices over his people. That God sings over his people. It says, loudly sings over his people. He's rejoicing that you and I are saved by him. And so when we understand that there's a God that loves us that much that rejoices over me and you, and was willing to save us and willing to sing over us and rejoice over us, it should spring from us a song of praise. Thank you, God. Mary's experiencing this. See next. Look at verse forty-eight. This changed her personally. For he uh, he was looked on. He looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary understands her place in the world. Right, the, the humble estate of her servant uh, of his servant. Here's the thing she did not meet any of the qualifications of the hierarchy of that time. She was down here. But that God looked at her in her place, he sees her and he loves her. And she sees herself as God's servant. There are so many things that we try to define ourselves by. There's so many labels that we want to put on ourselves to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, right? Here's what I am. This is what I do. All of these different labels. But Mary understands this. At the end of the day, she's God's servant. You know how the apostle Paul introduces himself? I am a servant of God. Peter, I'm a servant of God. When you understand and you have a real interaction, a personal interaction with the living God, you understand all I am is just a servant of God. There might be all these different labels that people will try to place on you in your life, but at the end of the day, all I am is God's servant. She understood her place in the world because Psalm 25.9 says this, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. You wanna know the one that the Lord comes to? It's the humble. He personally comes to her and says, yes, you are my servant but I see you, and I love you, and I care for you. Lastly, look at the end of verse 48. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. In a world where she would have been forgotten, in a world where the labels would have stuck and she could have never gotten out of it, today we call her blessed. See, God had a special plan for her life, a personal plan, God has not chosen the princess in the castle, but instead the lowly teenage girl to carry out his plan in the world. You see, this song helps us to see that Mary has personally received God's radical love, and it's changing her. See, this isn't some fairy tale out there. No, this is real life, this is her life. God is working powerfully in her. Secondly, impact socially. Look at verses 51 through 53. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Many empires have read through this text, and it puts fear in them. You know why? Because God is saying, all the power that we think we have, he's really in charge. And so it just turns everything upside down socially. Mary looks at her life and knows that she's lowly, she's poor. But now we see in Jesus that God lifts her up. And not just Mary, but the poor in general. See, she lives in a world that's controlled by the rich. See, there there are systems in this world and structures that say, these are the people who are in charge and these are the people who are not. But do you know what this song is saying? Do you want to know why this, this is so revolutionary and radical? It's saying that, no, God decides what happens. And the way that the structures of the world works, actually, he decides that. Because verse 52 says this, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. You know, Herod will try to kill Jesus. He has a plan. He wants to kill Jesus. But his plan doesn't work. Right? The king of the day. Here's the other thing God sees the broken, God loves the forgotten. Do you see God's heart in this? Do you see why the arrival of Jesus is so important? One pastor said this, he says, when God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, he was born in the feed trough. When his parents took him to circumcision, their offering was two pigeons, the offering that was accepted for those of the lowest rung on the economic ladder. Jesus was essentially homeless. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He rode into the town on a borrowed donkey. He ate his last meal in a borrowed room. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He was poor. Jesus didn't say, here's all the stipulations of how I'm going to do this, and I'm going to arrive in a castle, and here's how I'm going to take down the powers of this world. No, he said, I'm going to come to the lowest of the low, and I'm going to be able to relate with them. See, our king was not born in a palace. He shook up everything socially and invited in the poorest of the poor and said, come. Essentially, God is saying to us, hey, you don't have the best education. You don't have fathers and mothers that are in the upper class. Or maybe you grew up in a home where maybe there was only one single parent that was raising you your whole life. You don't have connections. You don't. You don't get the, to the best universities. You you don't get the best opportunities. He says, "I can relate. I came for you. I came to change the world. The way this world operates at its core, Jesus shake, shakes up the social structure of our world, and it's revolutionary. Why did he do it? Why?" Charles Spurgeon says this, the first, the Christ whose gospel we preach is no unapproachable philosopher. You ever felt that before? Just an unapproachable philosopher? This thing that's out there? No, he says, the ignorant and the illiterate may find in him their best friend. He came for all of us. Socially, it impacts us, but eternally. Number three, her song, she says this, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What's happening here? Well, Mary is singing in the past tense, talking about all the things that God has done before, remembering all that God has done in the past. But she's also looking to the future, She's looking to the future in such a way where she's singing about Jesus, knowing that He is going to fulfill what Abraham had started long ago. She's rejoicing in God's beautiful promises going all the way back. See, we just finished up Genesis, but we talked about how the, this story it's, it's really only one story. it's God's story throughout history. And God is connecting the dots all throughout, and it all comes to fruition in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See, friends, that's what's happening here. As she's singing, it, all the connections are starting. And again, she's just a girl. This is deep stuff. This is highly theological stuff. She's only a teenager. But as she starts to think on what she knows, she worships. Right, just, you might come in today, you might not have much Bible knowledge, and you say, well, I don't know all the connection points, but here's the thing, take what you know, and it will be enough to worship. There's no excuse, right? That we could come to God and sing, knowing of all that he's done, and you could even take the things in your life that you say, there's no way that I should even be here, and you remember that, and you say, thank you, God, When she placed her focus on God, who is faithful in the past, present, and future, and she thinks on all God has done, she takes comfort in knowing the future, listen, listen, is secure in His hands. It's secure in His hands. Right? Like His grip and who He is, He's able to sustain it, He's able to do something. It's secure in His hands. He'll take care of us. If He can take care of our sins and He can take care of eternity, He can take care of you right now. He can take care of me right now. That's the God we serve. He impacted her eternally. And so, just some takeaways. How can Jesus' arrival cause you and me to sing like Mary? Well, I can't give you everything, right? It's between us and God in a lot of ways, but let me try and give you some ways to start that can help. First, it's by believing God's love is true. By believing God's love is true. There was this study that was done. Um, Psychology Today put out an article in 2010. This is not a Christian group. But they said, why people get depressed at Christmas? And the author, Ray Williams, wrote, he says, we're, we're told that Christmas for Christians should be the happiest time of the year, an opportunity to be joyful and grateful with family, friends, and colleagues. And then he goes on to this national report. He says, national, the National Institute of Health, Christmas time, this time of year, um, people experience high rates of depression, Hospitals and police um, say there's high incidences of suicide and attempted suicides. Psychiatrists, psychologists, and other mental health professionals report a significant increase in patients complaining about depression. One North American uh, survey reported that 45% of respondents dreaded the festive season. Here's the deal, we live in a world that's hurting. You and I know that there are pains in life. Things that are brought to us that we didn't choose. There are things that are done to us by others. And there are things that we do. Right? There, there are things that happen along the way. And the reality is that some of you look at yourself in the mirror and, and you hate the way you look. You know, I I have a uh, a seven-year-old daughter, and she was telling my wife this week that she doesn't like the way she looks. She's seven. She says, I'm fat. Right? A seven-year-old. Some of you have extreme negative self-talk that just goes in your mind over and over and over again. And some of you are believing that there's no way that God could love you. And I just wanna remind you, why, why did Jesus come? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You and I, we can't say that God didn't love us. We can't say that God didn't do everything to get to us because we have the miracle that he came. He came to be with us. See, God's love is true. It's true. You see, when Mary sings, she she wasn't singing just to benefit herself because she says, oh, I I like this song. Sounds really nice, doesn't it? all these different ideas. No, she, it's getting down deep into her heart to the point where she's worshiping. Why? Because she was wrapped in God's love. His salvation for her. She sang because she realized she wasn't forgotten, but she was seen by the God of the universe. And So let me ask, what would it look like for you to be wrapped in the belief that God does love you so much that he came for you? And that God's love is real. Would you let Him heal the stuff that's in here? And the stuff that's in here, would you let Him change you? God's love is true. But, second, is this our obedience impacts eternity. Like as as we start to let this settle into our hearts, okay, I'm singing, and this stuff is true, and God really does love me, and his salvation is real. It said in verses 48 through 50, it says, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. From generation to generation. Yes, God's love is real. And yes, you may be experiencing right now. But here's the thing. Mary knew that this wasn't only for her. It's from generation to generation. You know, I got the great gift today, uh, my friend Dave. Dave, you, you out there, buddy? Raise your hand real quick. This is my friend Dave. So when I was 23 years old, Dave gave me the first opportunity to be a pastor. I was a youth pastor. He was on a hiring committee that hired me. And today, out of all the days, he's here. <laughs> and one of the things during that time was we were, the church that I, w- that I would work for came, and they had a belief that it was important for the next generation to know Jesus Christ. And so they said, and here's the thing. We were just talking this morning. I didn't have like this huge resume of all these great things that I'd done. I had like an internship after college, right? So I went to Bible college, graduated, got an internship. And he said, it wasn't about the things that were written down on that paper, but it was about the character of the person that was coming in here and making sure that they knew Jesus, these kids, right? I was looking this past week, Jackie. Where you at Jackie? Is Jackie in here? Jackie, somewhere. There you are, back there. She looked at me, she says, It's about the next generation knowing Jesus. She pointed, she looked at me, she said, it's about the next generation knowing Jesus. Mary is giving birth to the Son of God. Do you know what it was going to cost? It it cost something. For the next generation to know Jesus, it was going to cost something. But her obedience had an impact from generation to generation. In her life... It cost her her reputation. You know that, right? It cost her her reputation. Do you know there's a, there's a verse, maybe you've never even read this before, you never even really thought about this, John 8, 41. The Pharisees are talking to Jesus and they're arguing with Jesus. And you know where they go? This, this is how, this is where they go. They say this to Jesus. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality, We were not born of sexual immorality. Do you know what they were saying? They were saying that he was. Because it followed him his whole life. Because it followed Mary and the reputation in that small little community. That's how Jesus was there. He was betrothed to Joseph It cost her. Mary's obedience to God cost her reputation, but it impacted eternity. What are you willing to to risk to make an eternal difference? Your reputation, your resources, your comforts? Will you obey God to impact the next generation? Mary did it, and it impacts you and me today. You know the things about generations, even biblically, right? Right? One generation's passionate about God. The next generation sees it as a press, preference. And then the next generation, oh, that was just the past. You know that, right? Your responsibility, whatever generation you're in, is to be faithful to Christ in this generation to pass it on to the next generation. That's what it is. But it costs her something. You know what it cost her? William Barclay says this. He says, well, might her heart be filled with a wondering, tremulous joy at so great a privilege, right? She's singing. Yet that very blessedness was to be a sword to pierce her heart. It meant that someday she would see her son hanging on a cross. To be chosen by God so often means at one and the same time a crown of joy and a crown of sorrow. This young mother who would give birth to the Son of God would be the same one who would see him hanging on a cross. Why? For you and me. That's why. What gives you and me life? The death of the Son of God. Jesus came to bear our sorrow, to live the life we could have never lived and to die the death we deserve to die. He came to die for our sins. He loved us so much that it cost God everything to be with you. It cost him. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was rich, true riches, yet for your sake, my sake, he became poor so that you, by his power, poverty, might become rich. We worship him? Not just sing. Worship. Because that is our reason to worship. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are with us, that you are good. And that, God, you've given us the greatest gift, yourself. Thank you, God, for dying for us. Thank you for loving us as you have. Help us to s- just get a glimpse of what it looks like to sing like Mary did as she got to know all the great things that you are doing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.